I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm here with Sam Watt, CEO of Watt Advertising, and we're going to be discussing how to apply the 80-20 rule to Google Ads Management. Welcome to the podcast, Sam. Thank you. No problem. Do you want to take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners? And as you're doing that, feel free to share any personal marketing goals you might have and the mission that you're on at Watt Advertising. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the mission that I'm on at Watt Advertising is is really to have my team continually immerse in projects that we're all really passionate about. Um, I think marketing is often all about performance. And so at Watt Advertising, my aim is to really build a business that is really fun to work out uh, to work at rather, and that everyone has a lot of fun at. So that is my main vision for that. Um, I've been working on it for about three years or so, and I'm, I'm really excited about some of the projects that we have going here. I want to dive into your history a little bit. So sure, uh, we were just talking just a moment ago about the fact that you used to have a podcast yourself. And so, uh, but you were, you were noting that you were a little rusty, haven't been on the microphone for a little while. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, it's been a while, <laughs> but you were, how long was your, pre- uh, your previous podcast? I remember was it around three years you were hosting that? Yeah, it was about three years ago. Yeah. I was, uh, the co-host for a podcast that was started actually by my brother-in-law, Kylan Ginger, and it was called the Successful Dropout Podcast. <laughs> and does that speak to anything in your history? I want to know a little bit more about. So I was looking through your credentials uh-huh. and how you got started, and um, I want to know a little bit of the backstory about how you ended up launching what advertising, and in particular, getting started. Where did your journey start with Google Ads? Great question. So I have an engineering background by education, so. I can make numbers work. And I was doing a lot of software when I was studying for my degree as well. But it was really kind of granular and a bit tedious for me. Um, And so I tried a couple of different businesses uh, before I kind of got started in advertising. And I just took a really short course that kind of covered all the basics, everything from SEO to WordPress creation to a little bit of Google Ads. And I thought, okay, this is something that isn't too cerebral. There's kind of a creative side to it. And I I think I can really start to engage with this side of the internet. So I started just doing small projects for people, just 
some WordPress websites. I got to know SEO a bit. But at a certain point, I thought, right, Google Ads is where I really want to be aiming at. I think there's just lots of creativity available there. You can see results pretty quickly, so you know what's working and what's not working. So in terms of the next stage of my career, when I was at that point, I realized, yeah, I like that feedback loop. I like being able to know what's going on very quickly and... Yeah, so I just started doing Google Ads projects, and now I'm here. <laughs> what year are we talking about, roughly? So we're in 2021 now. How long ago was this? So it was a oh, good question. Time is so weird with <laughs> what's been going on with the coronavirus. It's, the last year seems like several, yeah. but I think it's been I think it's been less than three years since I just started on the digital marketing track, um, and probably about. 18 months to two years that I've been really focused on Google Ads specifically. Okay. As I'm piecing this together, what I'm really interested in is, was there anything from your work pre-Google Ads? So before you got introduced to Google Ads and started to learn, was there anything that you took into learning about Google Ads from your previous careers and experience that has really helped you on your journey in learning Google Ads and that you've applied? Good question. Nothing immediately springs to mind. Um, I think just being able to write sentences with good grammar um, generally helped a lot because there's a lot of copywriting involved, of yeah. course. And, and, and I think kind of having an engineering degree and just being able to understand complex mathematics really did help with just the amount of data you have to tend to sift through. Um, and so just having a quick eye for the data, yeah, that's something that probably really supported my journey into Google Ads. Oh, that's interesting. And so it sounds like it became that hybrid medium for you, the perfect balance of creativity and logic. Is that fair? That would be 100% fair, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, now we're talking, again, 2021, uh, maybe a few years or more, uh, into that journey about learning Google Ads. I'm interested to know, taking your mind back to when you first started to learn about Google Ads, and I was thinking about the 80-20 rule, how did you apply, if at all, the 80-20 rule to your early stage learning of Google Ads? When I when I started out with Google Ads, it was a bit stressful, honestly, mm -hmm. because there's so much going on and there there are just unlimited things that you can look at and do in that Google Ads interface. And it's designed to be super addictive. I mean, you've got those nice red and blue colors. You've got the graphs that go up and down. Everything updates super quickly. So when I started, I, would, I knew that there were things that could be done to optimize an account. And I would just try and do all of them in as short a space as possible, which, first of all, is not good to experiment that way. You don't know what's working, what's not. But second of all, it just kind of increases that um, that kind of stress cycle. There's just lots going on, and you you you're just kind of stuck in activity, trying to make things better. Mm -hmm. And when I first heard about the eighty twenty rule, it was actually from a guy called Perry Marshall, who literally wrote the book on Google Ads, and that changed everything for me. It helped me to realize that there's a small proportion of things that actually really matter. Mm -hmm. 
And it helped me to cut through the noise and spend a lot less time on accounts and spend a little bit of time doing the things that really mattered. So the first thing it did was it gave me a lot of clarity. It cut down my time and it helped me to focus on the things that did make a difference. And so I actually started learning faster and more effectively because the things that I was working on were actually moving the dial forward. And if I've picked that up correctly, because that was going to be one of my questions, did you know about the 80-20 rule going into your career, learning about Google Ads? Or is that something you picked up earlier in your career? But if I just picked up that correctly, uh, picked that up correctly as you were talking, you learned about the 80-20 rule as part of learning about Google Ads. Is that correct? Yes, I had kind of heard of it, but in practice, it's very different. It's like you hear you hear the metric, you know, 80% of the wealth is held in 20% of the hands, yeah. you know. But until I got into Google Ads, I didn't realize that it was a natural law that appeared everywhere, really. So it definitely changed how I saw the law, and it also actually just gave me the power to use it. And have you found that you've used the law beyond your work in Google Ads as you've been growing an agency? I think so. I think generally in time management, it's helped. Mm. Um, I really like the one thing principle where it's like, what's the one thing you can do every day that makes everything else easier or unnecessary? You know, you could spend all your day in your inbox and not get much done. Uh, But if you spend, you know, an hour, an hour and a half working on your strategy for a Google Ads account or working on figuring out return on ad spend metrics based on information your clients have given you, those kind of core tasks can push you a lot further than some smaller menial tasks. So where it's really impacted me kind of on a larger scale is how I start my day, where where do I give my attention early on in the day? Because it's a very small amount of things that actually matter. And it's helped me realize how how much I was doing that wasn't really making an impact or pushing the dial forward towards my general goals. I think you mentioned as you were talking two books. There was the book by, uh, was it Perry Marshall? And I don't know the name of that book. So my question to you was going to be, do you have any recommendations to our listeners in respect to the resources that have helped you on the journey about learning about Google Ads? Okay, so I'll start with the Google Ads recommendation. So I'd recommend The Ultimate Guide to Google Ads by Perry Marshall. And there are a few other people that work on it as well. But that comes out with a new edition every two to three years, just with some of the changes that happen so quickly in the Google Ads world. But that I would say would be, treat it as the Bible of Google Ads because it has essentially everything you need to know about Google Ads. It's got a bit of everything and it's based on really deep principles on direct marketing. It's not about tips and tricks and hacks. It's about how to learn the stuff that actually works over the long term if you're willing to put a great deal of work in. And so I really, really like that book. I've got the last three editions on my shelf. (laughs) So yeah, it's fantastic as a resource. And the other one, I think you're referring to The One Thing by Gary Keller. 
and I've not actually read that book. Um, my wife has read that book. It's, I've seen it sitting on the bookshelf, but I just listened to his podcast episode with Tim Ferriss, right. and that gave me everything I needed to know in a very nice digestible episode, and I knew I didn't really need to read the book. Um, so that's where I got the idea. You know, it's like, what's the one thing... I could do today that would make everything else easier or unnecessary. And I really love the unnecessary part because you realize what you really need to be doing that would just cut the knees out from under all the other tasks that are really minutiae and won't help. And what I'm really interested in going to the necessary as a final part of this question about your background and your learning, mm-hmm. is it's one thing to learn Google Ads and go through these resources, but then to make the conscious decision to launch an agency is another mm. journey entirely. And I'm just interested to know, was there any particular trigger or driver behind the decision, not just to learn Google Ads, but then to think, actually, I'm going to launch an agency around this? It wasn't really, there wasn't like a day where where I said, you know, now I'm going to do Google Ads as a career. Yeah. It was, I really like that saying, I think it's by Steve Jobs, which is, you know, you can always connect the dots looking backwards. And so I'm kind of seeing that now. But at mm-hmm. the time, I was just working on projects and I didn't know what would take, you know, I tried a few different things. Um, I had a software as a service business, which didn't work out very well. Um, I'd worked in secondhand bicycles as a business, which is pretty interesting. But until I hit on marketing, I didn't think there was like a a common thread. I didn't I didn't know what I wanted to spend the next few years on. And so when I hit on digital marketing, I thought, okay, I finally found something that has a good. Um, that has a lot of demand, like a lot of people need this skill set. And so this is a, I mean, it's still all very new. I mean, Google Ads is only like just over 15 years old, yeah. at least in terms of how many people know about it as a thing. So I knew it was a really good time to get in. And it was also something that I felt I could get better at. It was the kind of thing that I felt with a few projects I could start to make serious progress and I'd not really felt like I could build something that had as clear a a map out into the future as that. So that's the thing that I think kind of kept me at it. Mm. I saw that there was a future and I also saw that there would be a lot of transferable skills because the world's changing massively. I mean, it's just been accelerated in the last 18 months to two years, as we all know. And these skills will be able to be transferred into whatever other technology is going to be hot in 10, 15 years. There will always be places that you can buy attention. And Google is the best place to buy attention, direct attention, where people are searching for exactly what you want to sell. And that has never existed before, and it will exist again. So, yeah, it really engaged me. I don't know how far away I am from your original question, but I hope that's helpful. Well, I have another follow-up question now anyway, because you've touched on something that's really interesting, is that you talked about transferable skills there. I'm interested to break that down a little bit. I know this deviates slightly from the the topic, but I am interested to know your opinion on 
those transferable skills that you've already identified that you think are still going to be relevant in 10, 15 years from now? Yeah, well, I think I think one of the skills is rapid learning. <laughs> so, mm. like, because it's because these platforms evolve and change so quickly um, that you need to kind of be on top of it all the time. You can't take six months off, you know. Mm. Um, well, I think you could, but it helps if you can stay on top of it. Mm. And what I found is it's kind of a paradigm shift from how we are educated in the traditional sense. And this kind of ties into why I I helped out with a podcast called Successful Dropouts. I have my degree, but I realized that there were inherent problems with that system. So I got the degree and it was like, bish, bash, bosh, learning done. I now know all this stuff. But in digital marketing, you settle in for a four-year degree. By the time you graduate, everything that you've learned is totally irrelevant. It's just not relevant whatsoever. And so there are some professions that, you know, they have some, some skills that will last decades. A surgeon, for example. Although, who knows, they might get replaced by robots pretty soon. That's already <laughs> happening. But... With digital marketing and other up-and-coming careers, which are really big and we're really relying on to kind of make the web of the internet work as we start to inhabit it more and more, that stuff you need to continually learn because it's always changing. It's always evolving. The internet is a living organism as far as I'm concerned. Uh, And I want to break down this applying the 80-20 rule to what you've been learning over the last few years. So mm. a starting point, it's really interesting, you've just spoken through all of that. And even though Google Ads is only, and I don't know the actual length of time, but let's say 15, 20 years old, you've been in this space three, four years now. And I want to know what, where you've seen already the signs that people are spending time in areas that really aren't worth their efforts. So you have really fresh eyes in this industry. What have you identified as the commonalities of where people are spending their time for very little reward? I think there are two main areas. The first one I will address very quickly is, well, I'll say them first. So one thing is kind of running after clients and small requests. The second thing is things that can be automated in terms of AI. So I'll touch on client stuff first. Um, The solution to this is really to get better clients. So I'd recommend that first. Um, But it's really necessary to put a limit on the amount of requests that clients have because they don't understand how this stuff works, especially as it moves so quickly. They might have some base knowledge, but... A big red flag is if you see them digging into analytics and start worrying about conversion rates from from the year before being different from how they were this month, even though they're getting like 300% increase in leads for the same budget, even when you've communicated that stuff to them already. What are the characteristics then for you of the ideal paid media client, the ideal Google Ads client? 
Oh, this is this is such a good question um, because it's something my team and I have been really working on the last few months, um, <laughs> and we're getting closer and closer. But I'll tell you what I think it is. Um, just in terms of our preferences, because everyone's preferences are a bit different, but th- these are our preferences. And we find when we work with people like this, things are much easier. So we prefer working with clients who are continual learners, who are teachable. So we we can let them know how a certain thing works and they really take it on board. Um we prefer working with people who are always open to growth opportunities. So that often means thinking about Google ads in a different way than they might have thought about it before. Mm-hmm. We prefer working with clients who value quality of service and creativity. I've run into clients who have literally said to me, Oh, we're all about volume. And as soon as I heard those words, I knew the relationship was going to be wrapped up in a few months because we are not about that. It's not aligned with, you know, the kind of people we want to work with. Mm-hmm. We prefer working with clients, and this is this is a really big one. And so I think this is per- perhaps the most important one. We prefer working with clients who are truthful and that we can really rely on for their honesty. And this is becoming kind of scarce. And I think trust is very difficult to come by these days, especially with lockdowns and less social interactions is becoming harder to trust people. And so if you just tell the truth as a client, you know, you're going to help agencies out a great deal. And it might seem really simple, but it helps with all areas of the relationship beyond just whatever campaigns are running. It just helps the core relationship flourish beautifully. We also prefer working with clients who are patient and place a high value on the journey because there are some traffic sources that get really, really quick results. And Google Ads can get fairly quick results, but Google Ads is quite a journey because you you have to test a lot of things to start figuring out what works and what doesn't work. And if you know we've even found the right keywords that hits on their target client, at all. So those are some things that are really, really important to us when we're working with people. And if we find people who do meet that criteria, it's usually an absolute pleasure and we have no issues whatsoever. That's really interesting. As I'm, as you're talking that through, I visualize it and go back to something that you said earlier about you and your career and wanting to be part of the living organism that is the internet. And I actually think mm. that when you're looking for clients, so again, I, everything that you've just spoken about resonates with me because I've experienced similar things and we search for similar things in clients. Mm. But really, you have to have clients that want to be part of that organism. If you 100%. Yeah. If, you, if, you, if you're if you looking for clients and they're just they're looking at that organism, that living, breathing thing, and they don't really want to be part of it, it's not really going to work out. Yeah, they have to come along with you for the journey and be excited by that, I think. The other thing that stood out to me there and a question for you was trust. Is there anything that you can speak to that you see as the root issue of trust in marketing? In your experience, is that getting better or worse over time? Wonderful question. Well, I think one of the most challenging issues is reporting um, because people don't know what's working and what's not. And on the one hand, it's never been 
you've never been able to show a return on investment more accurately with online advertising. I mean, with a billboard, who knows how many, you, you know roughly how many people drove by, but the people were probably looking at online ads on their phones when they're, when they're driving by the billboard. So you can measure things online better than you've ever been able to, but the new problem is attribution and no one's doing it super well. Um, there are services which which help with attribution and just in case anyone doesn't know attribution is where um, say you've got a customer journey where someone sees a Facebook ad for a service and then they go away and they think about it and then they come back to Google and then they type the company name in and then a branded keyword campaign pops up an ad for the brand and then attribution would say okay well some of this conversion if at least a sale that is is due to the facebook ad and some of it's due to that google ad that last touch point which really kind of sealed the deal and so no one's really sure how to there's just bias like whichever way you look at it there there is bias inherently whichever way you look at it and no one's found out a really good way of doing this and i've had clients that get really frustrated because you know there are facebook ads running there are google ads running that we're managing and we might be using some sort of attribution software but it's never really that accurate and is very difficult to get the whole picture so i think that's one of the biggest things eroding trust is people don't know which traffic sources are getting them the most results. I think as long as you know roughly, um, it can help. But a lot of people, especially clients who aren't marketing-minded and are really relying on their marketers to provide them these metrics, um, it, it gets very, very difficult. And with, of course, iOS 14 and everything that went along with that, all the different platforms from Apple, Facebook, Google, everyone's kind of like taking their own system and making it an island. As you were talking through, and you talked about some of the some of the issues that can impact trust there, but an, ex- uh-huh. an extension of my original question is, is there anything that you actually ask of your team or that you discuss amongst your team that you do intentionally to build trust? So it's one thing to seek out those characteristics that we just discussed in clients, but is there anything that you do as an agency and within your team to try and be tr- more trustworthy marketers, really? That, that is an excellent question. So aside from reporting, which is an issue. Um, and it can get better. I think it's continually getting better. Um, I heard another marketer who's really into analytics and data um, say something like, um, "Your where, where your data is getting recorded, where you're recording results for everything, those are going to be like the new oil pipelines of advertising because the people who get those down are going to be able to really effectively not only show results, but understand results and be able to build on successes way easier. And that will just inherently build a massive amount of trust because people will know that they know their stuff. They will have very accurate reporting. So that will help with trust. Another thing with trust is just kind of 
appearing in front of people a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's different digitally. It's really, really different. So um, we've been really challenged to use a lot more video. And at first I thought, okay, um, we just need like some more small videos like on our website so people know our stuff a bit more. And we are working on that. But another area is we, we kind of dived into TikTok, which mm-hmm. is kind of a weird move for people so focused on Google Ads. But I thought, okay, TikTok's here to stay. Um, this is going to be a long-term play. But if people want to see us and like kind of just understand who we are as people, then they might as well have some short videos. So our team's been producing these wonderful videos they're very funny um they're also helpful and the beautiful thing about it is within a few minutes of someone going through a tiktok they can get a real feel for us they can start to build that relationship that trust can start to be generated um and i've not really seen too much of it because tiktok's kind of around individuals right now and I know this is a bit of a sideways move, but I'm pretty fascinated about TikTok. Um, how I'm looking at TikTok right now is YouTube used to just be silly cat videos. And now it's a library of the most, some of the most valuable information that we have as a species collectively in, on one platform. And TikTok, I don't think will be exactly that, but TikTok is still so young that I think it's going to turn into something very powerful. And especially for businesses in just showing people who you are, that you're a real human. I see a lot of agencies that have really generic um, websites and landing pages. And you, you know, you've got the cute little like animations and stuff and the little drawings, but people want to see people. That's how people build trust. That's how people connect. And so kind of, I was kind of inspired with another agency that we're partnered with on a few projects and they've got their team like just out in a field smiling and you know, I just love it and people love it too. And that's why that's one of the biggest reasons that they work with this other agency. And so I moved photos of our team, like right to the top of our website. So people know we're not just another agency. We're a group of people and we're going to really care about your project. So that's one thing that we've been doing, just like trying to show ourselves a bit more and show that we're real people. And it might seem silly and small, but I think it's going to be one of the biggest things going forward. Trust is becoming this extremely valuable currency. And I think it's still kind of undervalued right now. And a lot of people don't realize how much demand there is for trust. There's some great ideas and great tips for listeners there if you're a paid media marketer about how to really do your part in instilling trust in the industry and uh, build up those relationships with clients. I haven't actually seen your TikTok channel as part of the research for this podcast. So I'm totally going to check that out and I'll link to that in the show notes for any listeners that are interested to. Very curious. To oh see yeah, I, I, th- I think you might find some good ideas in there. I'm amazed. My The thing is like most of the genius in there is nothing to do with me. It's <laughs> all my team. They're um, They're outstanding. I can't, they just took it and they ran with it. And it's, I love it so much. I think anyone who looks at that stuff is going to have a good time. <laughs> and actually naturally bring it back to the topic of the 80-20 rule. One of my questions oh, yeah. is, 
Um, I, w- I wanted to know from uh, what you ask of your team or your paid media marketers about how they split their time. What do you require of your team when it comes to the 80-20 rule? Where do you like them to spend 80% of their time, for example? Um, so, so that's something that I'm trying to give them a bit more autonomy over. We're, I mean, we're still a pretty young company and we're a lean team of four. So it's not like I'm managing enormous amounts of people. But I can, I've kind of led the way there in terms of, well, let's talk specifically Google Ads management just to kind of bring it into a manageable frame here. So when I plan out management for the upcoming month and weeks for Google Ads, um, we have this spreadsheet. And I call it the optimization log. And it just keeps us in sync with our um, project management systems. And we have a bunch of different tasks. And optimization, you know, you're you're adding something, you're removing something, or you're changing something. And there are a few different categories that can fall into. And so I map this all out in this spreadsheet. And then I've got this column. And it's the one thing column really, um, which really shows the most important task that needs to be done on that account on any given week to move the dial forward. And it stops us drowning in client requests. It stops us focusing on the minutiae, the small things that we don't want to focus on. And it makes sure that at least that even if we get distracted and something crazy happens in the week and we don't manage to do most of the work we thought we were going to do, that doesn't really happen. But in case it ever did, I always know that the one really important thing in the strategy for that week gets done for each account. And a very similar question I want to ask you, but related to the 80-20 rule applied to budget. So something I remember Mm -hmm. reading a long time ago, and I forget where I read it. So apologies if you're out there and you do listen to this and it was you that written you've written this in a book but um there, i was reading a google ads book i think it was or a paid media book at one point and there was a very simple idea in there of the idea that you should use 80 percent of your budget for your business as usual activities but always reserve 20 percent of your budget for experimental activities in paid media so mm. that you, so, so uh, just as an example actually so that you can learn about tiktok maybe you run a maybe your your core business is google ads but you have 20% of your budget reserved for TikTok or 20% for a new and emerging platform. And that that makes a lot of sense to me. But in my experience, mm-hmm. I have always found that difficult to put into place in practice. And I'm not really too sure why as I'm speaking out loud. So I'm just interested to get your experience and your view on how to apply the 80-20 rule to budget. Hmm. So in terms of budget, I mean, we're pretty focused on Google Ads. But if you say say you have multiple traffic sources that you're paying for, one of them will be just massively more successful than the others. And it might not be strictly 80-20, but you'll find that there's one core effort you should be focused on. So you can just review that and maybe you need to change some things and find out where you can be reporting better so you can find out which of your traffic sources are you know, the most effective or not. Um, But if I get more specific into Google ads again, um, a really simple way um, to look at things is you you can see where your conversions are coming in. If you've got your conversion set up correctly and you can see where your budget is going. 
And so you can sort this in a variety of ways, but one of the big ones that we do is we just see which keywords are getting the most traffic. And often that's where the most budget is going. Um, so in terms of budget, you can see, okay, so there, there'll be one or two keywords that are using up like, or I, I mean, depending on how big the account is, but often it's a really small amount. It's like often less than five keywords are using up 80% of your budget. And most of those will be getting a load of conversions, but there might be one or two in there that are getting loads of traffic, but aren't turning into results. And so you might want to stem the bleeding there just by seeing where that traffic is going into those, into paying for those keywords. So that's the first place I would look. I would sort things by keyword in terms of where the budget's going and see, okay, where is most of that budget going that isn't actually working and isn't actually contributing to our goals? And I'd like to close out the episode by applying the 80-20 rule to a manual versus automated approach. So I've, dis- okay. I've discussed automation and AI and in particular Google Ads and all of its smart features on this podcast quite heavily in the past. So, so any long-term mm. listeners will will have maybe heard me have these conversations before. And uh, I, I forget which conversation it was, but I had a brief discussion about applying the 80-20 rule and a guest on the episode was saying, you know, in their agency or in their company, they encourage paid media marketers to get started with automation and, and the smart features uh, by utilizing that for about 20% of their campaign activity, which is a pretty simple way to get started and start getting familiar with automation, getting familiar with machine learning and AI and how mm-hmm. it works. I'm just interested to know because you did touch on it uh, yeah, a few moments ago. You were talking about automation and AI and I'm just curious to know your thoughts on how marketers, paid media marketers in particular, should get started with automation in Google Ads. So this is not something I came up with myself, but I heard, who was it from? I think it might have been... Uh, I know who it was. It was Mike Rhodes, who runs the number one Google Ads agency in Australia. And I've done some group coaching with him in the past, and he's excellent. He knows his stuff really well. And he said that there are three things that AI will not be able to do. And those things are relationships, strategy, and creativity. And so I really took that on board. Relationships, of course, as any business owner knows, you need to be at least somewhat good at relationships to keep your business rolling um, and out in the world. And strategy is a big one, which I took on board because things can change a lot very quickly in the world of automation, but you still need to figure out which way to point the AI, mm-hmm. if like regardless of what you're doing, whether you're heavily automated or not, there will be some degree of automation. So you need to point it in one direction or the other. And to kind of put it into 80-20 perspective, I tr- I'm trying to spend a lot more time on strategy than I am in accounts. Mm. So that helps us a lot so that our time that we do spend in accounts is like more concise, is more efficient and it just pushes the dial forward a lot more powerfully with that thought that's being put into it. And then the third one, creativity. I used to write loads of our clients' copy, but one of our team members, John, he's just an absolute 
wizard at copy and he's extremely creative. So that's where I like him to spend a lot of his time because it's really in his strengths. So you can spend a lot of time like analyzing data and there are people who are good at that, but the the machine does a lot of that work for us now. So those are the three things that we're really trying to focus on a lot more because AI will replace more and more of the rest of stuff. But a really simple experiment that I would run in Google Ads is is with the automated bidding strategies you have available to you. So you might start manual just to figure out what's going on with different keywords you're advertising for. Um, And the next logical progression is maximize conversions once you've got your conversion action set up all beautifully. And that should just get you quite a few conversions. But at a certain point, it's not super efficient. So that's a really basic one. It doesn't really take much work. But the big experiment you'll probably start running is testing out target CPA compared to maximize conversions. And the major benefit of this is, say you've, used, say you've got a small budget on a small campaign of like $1,000 a month, and you've used up $700 of that by like the 29th of the month. If Google sees a couple of clicks that might lead to a conversion at the end of the month, but those clicks are like $150 each, Google will take your payment for those very expensive clicks, even if it doesn't turn into a conversion. You have a lot more control with target CPA because you say to Google, I don't want to spend really much or really any more than this amount for an acquisition, a conversion, that is. So that's the big experiment that I would start to run. If you're using maximized conversions, which is really powerful it does work but you want more control more granularity you'll want to start running that experiment and splitting doing like just a depending on how big your account is you you might want to do like a 50 50 traffic split or an 80 20 traffic split if you've got loads of traffic Um, and just test out the target cpa bidding strategy and you can have everything else in your campaign stay completely the same and just swap out the automated bidding strategy and you can find that in drafts and experiments in your google ads interface so that's a good place to start experimenting leaning into the machine a bit more um, and i hope that helps and sam as you were talking uh, and it always brings a smile to my face when podcasts come full circle because to close out this episode one final thought from me here is you were talking there about advice from mike rhodes and i think you said that uh, you know ai machines cannot replace strategy relationship and creativity and it's funny because going back to the one of my first questions to you it was what transfer, uh-huh. about transferable skills in the future and what will okay. still be relevant in 10 10 years time but actually i think it's great advice is that you know if as a marketer whether you're a paid media marketer or just marketer in general if you focus on those three areas of relationship strategy and creativity you're pretty much guaranteeing transferable skills that you can apply to your career in 10 15 years time those things are always going to be in demand um, so I just thought that was a nice way to tie up the episode and a great piece of advice that you shared at the end there. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree completely completely with that. At the end of the day, these Google ads, Facebook ads, whatever you want to use, these are all tools. But business is about building solutions. So whatever tools we have, we want to be able to be in mindsets where we're, where we're building solutions, we're building strategies 
um, we're working with people to make the world a better place. So whatever your tool is, make sure you use it wisely. Especially if it's TikTok. And I'm going to check out TikTok. and have Especially if it's TikTok, <laughs> because your life can just disappear if you spend too much of your time there. Perfect. Um, Sam, before I let you go, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you and what advertising? Absolutely. So the best place is probably be LinkedIn and TikTok. So you can find me under my name, Sam Watt, on LinkedIn. And on TikTok, you can find what advertising's TikTok. It's just what advertising. That's W A T T advertising. And if you want, you can also check out our website. That's what advertising, spelled the same way, dot com. Wonderful. Sam, I'll just say thanks again for your time this evening. And this has been the Internet Marketing Podcast. Take care. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.